0: Hey everyone, this is Michael O'Connell. Over the holidays, the It's All Journalism podcast is bringing you encore episodes of our two most downloaded episodes of the year. Today we're bringing you our interview with Peter Rice, editor of the Downtown Albuquerque News. Stay tuned for the end of the episode for an update with Peter. Thanks for listening, enjoy the episode, and we'll see you later in 2024.
1: Very low overhead, because the technology takes out, you know, the printing and the ink and, and the distribution costs for the most part, and no advertising. What do you have when you have the old newspaper model with no advertising and no overhead? You've got readers paying money for news.
0: After nearly two decades of floundering to identify a sustainable revenue stream to support online journalism, the media industry continues its decline. But maybe there is a solution, and maybe it's something we knew all along. I'm Michael O'Connell, welcome to It's All Journalism. Peter Rice is editor of the Downtown Albuquerque News, a digital news site that covers Old Town Albuquerque and the surrounding areas. Five days a week, Dan, as the news site is known, is delivered into the email boxes of its subscribers. It's a reader-supported hyperlocal newsletter. Peter, welcome to It's All Journalism.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, thank you for, for reaching out to us. You know, I have a lot of questions for you. All right. I have I I wrote that down in my my notes, which I don't always do. I have a lot of questions. What you're doing really kind of interests me. So before we get into that, let's start with the basics. So you know, how did you get involved in journalism?
1: So that probably goes back to when I was a little kid and more or less completely obsessed with radio, particularly radio news. I grew up in a house with no TV back when that meant something. Back before we had TV on our phones. So I was also homeschooled as a child. So that led to a, I guess it's a a multi-year internship at a college radio station where I grew up in Olympia, Washington. So I did a lot of stuff for them, but mostly related to news reporting there. And that led to when I was kind of in mid to late high school, I ended up with an internship at uh, the state capitol with a consortium of NPR affiliate stations There. So by the time I walked into college, I was actually already a modestly experienced journalist and then, you know, a few internships in college and then got out in the in the real world. My first full-time job was on the Oregon coast at a small twice-weekly paper. Turns out it rains a lot on the Oregon coast. So I I tried to immediately leave Uh, Olympia. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's a whole different level on the coast. Who knew? I thought I knew something about the Northwest growing up there, but eventually that that led me to Albuquerque, following the sun. And I, I worked at a, a sort of dying afternoon daily paper here, and then took a little bit of a diversion, but uh, then wound up starting Dan here.
0: Wow, a daily afternoon paper—that's a particularly rare species it of is, animal.
1: And it is now defunct. I was the second yeah. to last reporter they hired. So that was <laughs> that was a what the, depressing experience.
0: What are the prospects of long-term employment here, sir? Paying <laughs> attention to what's going on in media. So anyway, you started Dan. When did you start Dan?
1: Summer of 2019.
0: Okay. So how did you come up with this concept?
1: So I suspect like you, I spent most of the 2000s in a state of either <laughs> infuriated or angered at some point. It was really sad watching the almost self-immolation of, of the news business. And throughout that, I couldn't escape the suspicion that the business was really not as hard as the industry was making it look. It was very clear, of course, that it had to change, right? So the advertising model, the writing was on the wall for that probably by 2002, 2003, but certainly by 0506. So it was it was clear that that was not going to be a good source of revenue for the news business. However, at the same time, the writing was also on the wall that the overhead of the news business was about to go way, way down because distributing digital media is, uh, you know, about three percent of the cost of of the old model, which literally involved loggers and truckers and, you know, people to go collect the coins and stuff like that. So what I was thinking, even all the way back then, is if these papers could, you know, convert, you know, even a third or a half of their subscriber base, which was already in the habit of paying for news, if they could just get them to continue paying for news in a different format, then, you know, in retrospect, we probably could have avoided a lot of the carnage that we've seen in American newsrooms and all these news deserts that's been so depressing and and really threatening of self-government in general. So you, of course, know the story that instead of doing the sensible thing, they gave all their content away for free on the Internet. And to their eternal shame, they trained a generation of news consumers not to value news and not to put a monetary value on it. So that's actually the the origin story for downtown Albuquerque News. It's basically just the dead simple business model that I thought they should have been using all along. And it is the old fashioned business model. It's just very low overhead because the technology takes out you know the printing and the ink and, and the distribution costs for the most part and no advertising. What do you have when you have the old newspaper model with no advertising and no overhead? You've got readers paying money for news. That's what downtown Albuquerque news is. It is supremely uncomplicated and everyone goes home happy.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that once I began researching this and and seeing what you're doing there, that I was like, oh yeah, of course, yeah. This makes so much sense. And you know, obviously it's somebody who sort of understands what's going on. You know, I've lamented many times on this podcast about the stupidity of a lot of people whose only concept of what a news delivery system was, was a large metropolitan daily that we somehow need to replicate that on the web. It's actually people who figure out, okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, go towards the strengths of digital and figure out a way for me to collect revenue on that end. And it, you know, it's so simple. Now newsletters, to be honest, you know, just my observation, I haven't been heavily into newsletters over the last 10 years, but that seemed to take a sort of a dip for a while. And then but now seem to be more more people are, are embracing it and recognize that as a delivery system for news. Is that something that you observed
1: or is it just has been steady? Yes and no. I mean, I think yeah, I mean we've we've had the the rise of Substack and there are a couple of people doing roughly what I do on a very local level, but it's it does not seem to be very common. The more common model seems to be some kind of celebrity journalist who has a built-in following and can do things that way. And it's often talking about national or international news items where there's a, a sort of built-in bigger audience anyway. You also get people doing kind of extreme niches, like how to you know, export things to China or stuff like that. So it's the sort of digital equivalent of the old trade publications or something like that. You do not get a lot of local news newsletters, which is kind of a shame. And if, if I could just go back to, I was curious. You were talking about the the metropolitan dailies and how how people were trying to replicate that model, and it's a terrible idea for so many <laughs> for so many different reasons. But what my paper is doing, I think, is replicating an old school small town paper. It just happens to be located in the middle of Albuquerque. Those were always the best papers, pound for pound. I mean, sometimes they were hokey, but those were the papers that delivered real direct news that was of extreme value to people uh, in a local community. the The regionals never quite got local news
0: and I think that's why I found what you're you're doing is so sort of interesting and actually kind of vital because everybody's talking about the importance of local news, and so many community papers have folded or been bought up by syndicates and people have been laid off and they're not really kind of the same thing that they were, which for a lot of people, they were kind of like a platform also for, for local advertising. Oh, yeah. So, But you don't take advertising. You're going the subscription model. Let's look a little bit at the numbers here. Obviously, I don't want to talk profit or anything like that, but tell me about... No, oh, we can. Like when I you, don't care. No, let's, <laughs> let's do All right, well, we'll get to that. No, but what thinking did you go into to say, okay, downtown Albuquerque, this is, this is the area I'm, I want to target. These are the communities I want to cover. What potential audience did you see there, and what have you been able to capitalize on?
1: So when you take downtown, Old Town, and surrounding neighborhoods, it's about 11 square miles. It's the better part of two zip codes, and it's about 30,000 residents. That's
0: a community paper.
1: Right. It's very much a similar sized audience to the one I had at my first full-time job out of college on on the surprisingly rainy Oregon coast but it's <laughs> the Oregon
0: rain slicker exactly uh, yes. <laughs> daily rain slicker
1: it's a little more than that it's not like a suburban subdivision with 30,000 people because we are the we are a tourism center we are a commercial center so there's a lot of people who subscribe that have some kind of interest here but don't live here so a lot of people own a business here maybe they have a rental property maybe they used to live here maybe they like you know recreating here there's other reasons so i think about a quarter of the subscription base are people who don't actually live downtown.
0: Okay. You know, people are just interested, as you say, in business. You know, maybe they come from there. They want to, they want to yeah. see what the news is. What's a Dan story? You know, what is it that you, you guys are writing about?
1: There's a lot of stuff.
0: <laughs> well, but, yeah, people don't even realize that. They, a oh, small town paper, what do you read? Go out your door, or you trip over a story, but go on. Yeah,
1: no, and it's sort of weird. Like, I mean, if I were interviewing me, I would ask that question. But it's sort of weird. It's a testament to the decline of local news that you kind of have to ask that question because it's just, it's everything. Our basic mantra is people you know and stuff you can walk to. Here's a quick recent selection. We had this local bakery got this really high-tech vending machine and now you can buy, you know, green chili sourdough bread at three in the morning when they're closed. So we did an article about that. We Last week, we had a profile of the new priest at uh, probably the most prominent Catholic church in the coverage zone. I just wrote an article about a new restaurant that's taking over a prominent vacant space. We did a profile of the woman who drops the fish off at the stocked artificial pond. A lot of stuff we've been doing about the developer who wants to add a new hotel and two apartment complexes to the near Old Town area. We do a fair bit of hard-hitting stuff, though, too. like We just... We just completed an audit of the stations on our bus rapid transit line because there was a lot of trash buildup and maintenance issues and the overhead monitors didn't work. So we just did kind of a, a thorough inspection of that. We did a neighborhood by neighborhood guide for the route options that this new trail the city's putting in might take. And yesterday we had a big explanation of This new bill the mayor is pushing to broadly legalize duplexes and accessory dwelling units. Yeah, it's just a lot of local... I mean, we even do a lot of local history pieces. That's something that even in the small town papers, they don't do too much of. I'm working on one right now where this guy back in the 1930s, he was in the habit of hanging out at the train station and taking pictures of all the celebrities that came through on what was then the only good way to get from... Los Angeles to New York. And it's been a layover stop you know, for a hundred years. So he's got these photos of like William Randolph Hearst and Albert Einstein and the original Little Rascals and Mary Pickford, just like hanging out in Albuquerque at the train station. So we're going to do a big story on that. Another thing we do that's kind of different, actually, it's pretty different than than most other outlets is a lot of data features. So... You know, you as a reporter will know that there are a lot of stories that are, they're not your one and done, right? They're just kind of an ongoing thing you have to monitor and check in on. So in our case, that's stuff like, how's the Rio Grande doing? Like, is there actually water in the damn thing? How are the local home values going? How many people are going to the library or going to the zoo? What are the gas prices like? Stories like that, they're just kind of ongoing questions that, that people have. So what we've done is rather than doing very occasional check-in stories, we just package those up into recurring data features. So once a month, you get a chart about all of those things and it just kind of sums up, it's a very Cronkitean. this is the way it is guys, sort of feature. Like tomorrow we'll run the Rio Grande feature and there will be a chart saying like, okay, here's how many cubic feet per second we're going by in the last month, here's roughly why that is. Here's what the snowpack is looking like for, for the winter and for the runoff next summer. It's just kind of a, a good, general, easy thing to check in on. Journalistically, it's really hard to set up, but it's also really easy to maintain. So it just becomes part of the routine. And so we can end up writing a ton of stories for not a lot of time and just getting that information out there.
0: Yeah. And guess what? They're not getting that information packaged and, and sent to them every day by anybody else. No. So that creates you as something uni- unique. Now, one of the things I find fascinating about this is there are people out there who are making local news websites. I work for Patch, as a matter of fact, and that's a different model than a lot of local news sites that are like yours, but they are news sites. The newsletter is just a way for, to drive people back to the website. Yeah. For you, the newsletter is the thing.
1: What is the advantage of that to you? They're huge. I don't know why everyone isn't into newsletters as the product because they're so much better to to produce and to consume. So I guess going back, the overriding goal was digital delivery one way or another. So that had to be, and there's basically only two ways to do that. You've got your some sort of email or digital point-to-point distribution. you know, thirty years ago it would have been a fax. You've got that, or you've got a website or some combination of the two but if you just do a newsletter it takes a lot less time to produce and maintain you know the software is already easily you know accessible and and very well established it's just off the shelf it doesn't cost hardly anything but more to the point newsletters are less burdensome on the reader and i think this is something we don't think enough about in our you know presentation of our product it is not necessary with a newsletter, if the newsletter is the only thing, it is not necessary to sift through a bunch of stuff you may have already seen or may have already read and already concluded that you, you don't care about. It is not necessary to check back later to some website to see if you've missed something. This is a much friendlier way to deliver the news. When we have something to share, we will let you know and then we'll be done and you won't have to think about it for a while. You know, you don't have to go and breathlessly check back to com to see if there's an update throughout the day cuz there isn't and there, you know, there's basically nothing <laughs> don't on ask that website. For it. Yeah. You're not going to get it. Go. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's not it's like local news should be like a friend that you enjoy catching up with occasionally. It should not be like some helicopter parent that won't leave you alone which is unfortunately the model that ad-supported media pretty much have to use because they make money not by producing satisfied customers who can then go about their day. They make money by with all this attention-grabbing antics, and it kind of grates on people after a while. Newsletters are just a, a kinder, gentler way to satisfy customers and make money. In your model,
0: in a sense, you acquiesce breaking news. Do you do anything for breaking news?
1: Not really. I mean, for one thing, there's not really, there's not a lot of breaking news. <laughs> there's not a lot of breaking news in downtown Albuquerque. And there's a lot less breaking news when you're so embedded in downtown Albuquerque that you can see most stuff coming from a mile away. If- so
0: the brush fire,
1: people are going to know before you get, you figure out how to send right. out a... And- <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, that's a good point. So we have this forest along the Rio Grande called the Bosque and there are fires along it every year, particularly in the dry years. And basically how I deal with that is I take the press release that the fire department sends out and I link to it on the Friday edition. If it's like really big, holy shit, Bosque fire, I will link to it in the following day's edition. But most of this stuff that other media outlets consider breaking news is really not that breathlessly important. There have been a couple of times since I started this paper where it was pretty important. Like we had a we, about a year ago, we had a very big school shooting. We had some, some pretty serious stuff following the the George Floyd killing in, in 2020, some riots, stuff like that. But I approached that differently too. Like I don't, if the entirety of Albuquerque media plus occasionally the damn New York Times has decided they are going to come onto my beat and cover a story, I'm pretty much going to let them do that. And I'll link to their stuff in the following day's edition if it's that important. Because I think the bet here is that if readers had their choice, they would rather see a good summary with links, plus a local story that's definitely not going to appear in any of those papers, instead of that summary with links and a Dan story about that hot breaking thing. The bet here is that readers will appreciate more local stuff than less. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, that means I just pretty much ignore the the biggest breaking stories.
0: Okay. Because at the end of the day, it's not like there's not anything else to write about. And chances are, if it is a big story, the TV and the radio stations are going to have it.
1: Yeah, and and again, we'll link to it because it's not you know I'm not in the business of producing exclusive content all the time. I'm in the business of helping people understand the community they live in, and I'm totally not ashamed. <laughs> if there's a good story at another media outlet, we will let you know about it.
0: Yeah, there was a time when editors on websites would would tell you not to share a link because well, that's just going to send people to the competition. So even though we didn't cover it and even though it may be very important to our readers, we're just not going to tell them about it because we need them to stay here. We don't want them off the site, even though our numbers tell us they'll be off in two minutes anyway.
1: There was a deep insecurity, I think, with this stuff because they, particularly the big metro dailies, they always wanted to be all things to all people and get all the money. And that's, that's because that's the old model. Right. And it's understandable from that older context. But in reality... That's what you do in an advertising business, right? When it's important to have all eyes on you, that's what you do. When you just have a limited group of people who care deeply about a subject, who pay you to know things, then you operate differently and you operate in a in a more secure position because you know who these people are and you know pretty much what they want to learn. And you're not worried that they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna dump your product in favor of just going to the TV stations because they're they're not gonna get what they want from other outlets.
0: And, you know, I live outside of Washington, D.C., and there are, you know, scores and scores of journalists who work at trade publications and association publications that have uh, subscriber bases, that very particular types of news stories that are very important for, you know, whatever the business or the industry they're in, that are well reported and very factual and people are willing to pay for them. So this model is not Oh no. Out of the moon, out of outer space. In one of your answers there, you referred to Dan as a paper. Why do you refer to it as a paper? Because it's not actual paper.
1: No, but you know, we don't dial phones anymore either, but we say we do. I refer to it as a paper because it's kind of what people know and it's doing what papers used to do, but I think doing it better and more efficiently. It's printed news. That gets delivered to people and they pay for it it's the most basic model there is and there's all sorts of you know crazy alternate ways to do local journalism these days and you know i should say i usually come off as though i'm poo-pooing all other models but i'm very much in favor of whatever works right whatever gets journalists to go to meetings and ask critical questions and to promote a sense of community i'm for it but I think the the old model minus the overhead and minus the advertising is the simple, easy, basic way to do it. And people know what a paper is. And I don't want to invent a lot of buzzwords and deal with branding and all that sort of stuff. I just, all I ever wanted to do was to be a local news reporter and the events of the last 15 years and poor industry leadership of the last 15, 20 years has made that exceptionally difficult. <laughs> I'm slightly bitter about it, but yeah, let's just call it a paper. It's fine.
0: Oh, a bitter journalist. That's so so rare. Yeah. And who am I to pick on you? Because, you know, I, I produce a podcast that we don't charge for a, on a subject that a lot of people just don't care about. And people
1: don't listen but, to it on iPods anymore either. So. No. Yeah.
0: So there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> what? Touché. I've been hoisted by my own petard. Anyway... And let me ask you a couple of really sort of basic questions. What's your deadline like? How much copy are you producing a day? And when do you distribute?
1: You know, I probably at some point should have figured out the average word count of a, of an edition, but I haven't actually bothered. But we distribute on weekdays. So yeah, my typical week, Monday and Tuesday, I'll be researching and you know mucking around on the internet, walking around, stuff like that. If I've been a good boy, I will start writing on Wednesday, the following week's editions. Yeah, then Fridays are kind of the exception. Friday editions usually get written on Thursday because that's just the, a bunch of odds and ends and stuff that came over the transom, not really worth a full story, but worth a mention. Events, links to other outlets, you know, the fire press release, the, some homicide press release or something like that. So that's kind of the... The weekly routine there. So the edition is mailed, emailed on weekdays at 5 a.m. except federal holidays. So, I guess in theory the deadline is 4:59 a.m. on those weekdays. But you uh, like to go to bed. So I like to go to bed. Yeah. That. So and and mostly I can produce these things the previous week. You know, sometimes there's something that's genuinely breaking that needs to go out the, the following day for it to be useful to people. But
0: if there's a surprising vote. Yeah. A, the city council or something, something like, like that. oh, wow, people kind of need to know this. Yeah. And because you've got the, the depth of understanding and stuff. Like I said, this is a really smart thing. And it just seems like it's a crazy that more people haven't stumbled upon this model. Not that you, did, you stumbled upon it. You obviously uh, formulated it. How many people you got working for you?
1: So I'm the only full-time one. It's very much a family business. My wife is the copy editor. I hired my dad when he retired to be a kind of quarter time-ish features reporter. Then we've got a woman who does some freelancing on a lot of like some of the history pieces and some of the restaurant stuff. And then we have one other freelancer who we call Inspector Dan. It's a new feature we've been doing where we evaluate government services as though they were restaurants. So kind of that same style of of whatnot. So he, he goes around to like parks. It was a
0: delightful experience (laughs) on the bus.
1: Yeah, no. And I mean, you know, we try to have some fun with it, but there's a serious side to that. And it's all these things that are around us, these pieces of government infrastructure we never think about, never write about. This is just kind of a good vehicle for, for writing about them. And in a sort of, you know, Sergeant Friday, here's the way it is sort of manner.
0: I remember the, San Francisco Chronicle used to have a thing that they would do if there was like a, like a broken fire hydrant or like a hole in the, like a huge pothole, they would take a picture of it. They'd publish the address and they publish the telephone number of the, the person you needed to contact. Yeah. To get that taken care of.
1: Yeah, we're, uh, we're not that <laughs> quite that direct, but it's the it's the same idea. Yeah, I guess so call this guy. It's probably make
0: make this his most important thing.
1: Yeah, it's another example of me stealing something that worked in the past that for some reason, nobody does anymore. <laughs> Just making it work again,
0: but because it worked back then and the things yeah. that, that caused those papers and things to go away had have really nothing to do particularly with this. Approach of this model. It was more because of the, you know, it was what we've been talking about with the, the advertising yeah and trying to. Demand was you know, never I, the problem.
1: People love local no. news and they always have, you know.
0: Anyway, this has been a great conversation. I'm, I'm going to want to check in with you at some point. This is. Yeah. And actually, now before I duck out, let me ask you one more thing. If I wanted to become a subscriber or somebody wanted to become
1: a subscriber, what do they need to do? They could go to downtownalbuquerquenews.com and, and fill out the form.
0: How much does it cost me to get a month's worth of, of these fine newsletters?
1: Uh, it's ten bucks a month or a hundred bucks a year. Wow, wow,
0: that's not too bad. No, no, no. A... And if you got no overhead, and yeah, <laughs> and you're you've got staff members or your family, which, to be honest, the first uh, paper I worked at part time was a family owned operation, which I found to be a very stressful place to work. <laughs> when,
1: when there was not for the family, one half, though, the,
0: yeah, no, no. Well, when one half of the family doesn't talk to the other half for some ooh, reason, oh, yeah, then it's very difficult to get those deadlines done, yeah. Anyway, Peter, this is great again. It is the downtown Albuquerque news, right? Downtown I mean, Albuquerque news, yes, can't get any simpler than that. Thanks for coming on, sure
1: thing. Anytime,
0: I'm back with Peter Rice, editor of the downtown. Albuquerque News, Peter. Thanks again for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It's an honor to learn. I was downloaded frequently.
0: <laughs> well, you know, to be fair to all the other great people we talk to, uh, podcasts have what are called, what's called a long tail, which means that it is constantly being updated. So, you know. Your episode was published in January, so you had a little more time to get ah, together okay, so well,
1: So, power. Indeed. I'm trying
0: to to be as transparent as I can here. So, what's been going on with with Dan over the last year? I think when we were talking, you were producing uh, stories for five daily newsletters a week and, you know, including data about things going on in in the city. So, tell me what's been what's been going on.
1: Well, I'd say it's been a very good year. I guess the the top line is that we we're closing in on 500 subscribers at the beginning of 2023, and we just recently cracked 600. So the the business side is is going great. That's about 20% growth over the year. And it was a busy year. I think it was a combination of the publication kind of establishing itself a little bit more, and also perhaps maybe a a little bit of a post-COVID reawakening. But It was pretty busy in terms of people getting in touch and kind of things happening and people getting a hold of us in a way that kind of telegraphed that they viewed it as a a real publication that that was making a contribution that they wanted to be a part of somehow or they wanted their news to be a part of. So that was that was gratifying. I'd say that the highlights of that included a couple of candidate forums that we were involved with for a, a municipal election that's going on this fall. And then there was quite a bit of news on the kind of development and redevelopment front. That's sort of a a recurring theme for us. And yeah, there's a a fair amount going on. And I guess the kind of general hope on the street is that it continues in that direction and further revitalizes the, the greater downtown Albuquerque area. So all kinds of story potential there.
0: We talk quite a lot about newsletters. I was kind of fascinated by what you'd been able to achieve. And what I was thinking about a lot was scale. And I think I probably was thinking that when I was interviewing you, but the more and more I I think about that a lot where obviously you're a one-man band, you know, maybe you'd be able to hire some people at some point, maybe you'll be able to grow to that point, but you're hyper-focused on a small area of Albuquerque and you're serving that community, giving them the news that it can't find anywhere else. You know, it used to be every time you, you'd see an operation like this, people would go, oh, how can that scale? I mean, how can we turn it into, you know, the New York Times? And it's like, well, it doesn't need to be the New York Times. What do you think about that?
1: I think it can scale, but not necessarily in the way people usually think about it. First of all, we, we could, we, given more resources, we could do more just kind of in our in our little patch particularly coverage around schools maybe some more investigations things like that and i think we're on track for doing that right i mean 20% growth in year 4 which is basically the same pattern that's been happening in recent years is is a good way to make that possible in the long run but the the capacity to cover greater downtown is actually quite limited there's only so much time people want to devote to reading news from from their given area and at some point that that market will kind of tap out that attention span will be saturated but there's a lot of other parts of albuquerque and i think the way you scale this would be to you know start some sort of institution that manages a bunch of these smaller publications not unlike, you know, the newspaper chains of yore that that dealt with a bunch of, you know, small town papers or something like that. I know I work for a company called Western Communications that did that in the West. You know, Lee Enterprises did a lot of that. They may still do to some to some degree. But the basic idea is you put together a network of small publications that serve fairly self-contained areas where readers have a good sense of, you know, the part of town or the small town that they live in. And then at that point, you actually develop some serious economies of scale. Like we've kicked around the idea of a sort of expansion project to another part of Albuquerque. And, you know, there's always some inefficiencies when you go from a sort of one man, you know, one and, one and a half <laughs> FTE kind of uh, family operation to a more institutional model. But there are some serious advantages to be had and with that sort of thing, because you, you can kind of share some articles to a limited extent. There's various and sundry data features that would take only about 25% more time to expand to another part of town. So I think that's how you scale it. You just treat every you know smallish, every couple of zip codes or whatever as their own self-contained unit, their own local newspaper, and then you string together a network of them and it's not unlike what was done back in the in the good old days there 20 plus years ago.
0: You know, what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to sort of either, you know, create an operation like yours where you're 100% newsletter content delivery or just some news organization trying to do newsletters better?
1: I think the advice I would give is to not think of them as some random supplement the e-newsletter is arguably the most reader-friendly medium out there. It's much more polite, I guess, is a way of saying it. You, know, you sign up for it, and particularly if you have a set schedule, like I've never published on a Saturday or Sunday you know, or a federal holiday. So you just send it out when you have something to say, and you're not expecting the reader to check back with you because honestly that's impolite that's not how you would do a service that's not how restaurants work it's not like hey you know <laughs> raise your hand and yell at us if you if you want something no no we are going to come check in with you when we have your food and you know things like that so it's it's a very friendly way to deliver the news it's not very burdensome in other words when that day's newsletter is done that's it we'll check back tomorrow morning but as a local news outlet, is it is not my mission to bother you constantly <laughs> with, with stuff. And it's not my mission to get you to check out this website. We're just delivering a product, we're going to do our business, and then we'll see you tomorrow. So I think anyone looking to work with newsletters needs to realize their, their potential, particularly in an ad-free model. Because the annoying things that news outlets do to try to get you to click on this or check back with the website or check back five times a day for breaking news. That is the legacy of an advertiser-supported model because you want as much eyeball attention as possible. If you just put your editorial product in a newsletter and you give it to people on a finite basis, then you are conducting a, a small transaction, you're giving them what they need, and then you're done. There's no harassment involved there. So. I'm not sure how much that answered your question, but I think it behooves anyone who's working with e-newsletters to realize their potential for good because it is immense and it is not discussed very often.
0: Peter, this is great. Thanks for coming on this. Congratulations for being one of our top downloaded episodes of 2023. And I hope you have a good 2024.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Glad to, glad to be here.
0: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud,